Welcome to the Majlis, podcast of the Muslim Society's Global Perspectives Project at Queen's University. Majlis is the Arabic word for an assembly, literally a gathering of people sitting together, and it was used for the sessions of learned scholars, philosophers, intellectuals, and artists brought together to discuss and debate. Our podcast intends to accomplish the same purpose of bringing together experts and scholars for discussion and conversation about the politics, histories, cultures of the Middle East, Islamic world, and Muslim diasporas. You can find the Majlis on your favorite podcast site, including Spotify and Apple iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think by giving us a rating. And we're right at the cusp of a new academic year um, in person, um, but we're still having lots of events uh, remotely as we try and balance our return to campus here at Queen's and I think at many universities across Canada and across the world. Um, so I wanted to update you uh, that we will still be having a full roster of various events, especially for Islamic History Month, which is coming up in October every year. And we will have a whole series of uh, events online that are accessible to the public. Do look uh, to the Muslim Society's Global Perspectives website and Facebook page, as well as our Twitter and other social media accounts to find out more information about upcoming events. But I'm really delighted uh, for this inaugural uh, episode for the new academic year uh, to have on um, a guest to talk about a very interesting topic about uh, religion and religious music, really, in uh, South Asia. So I'm uh, pleased to welcome uh, Ghulam Rabbani, who is a PhD candidate in cultural studies here at Queens, to talk about his exciting uh, PhD dissertation research. Uh, but before coming to Queens for his PhD, he was um, teaching uh, as an assistant professor at Jahan Girnagar University in Dhaka, Bangladesh. Um, in English and cultural studies. Um, and he came to Canada and he's uh, completing a PhD very soon on a very interesting uh, topic that um, he'll be telling us about shortly. But first, uh, welcome, Ghulam. It's wonderful to have you on the Majlis. Thank you so much, Professor. And I'm really privileged to be here. Well, it's, it's our pleasure and our privilege to learn from you about um, what you've been working on. Um, and uh, I understand that your dissertation uh, title, well, perhaps tell us what, what is your dissertation title? Um, so the title is Commodifying Baal Spirituality, um, Changing Baal Literature and Music in Bangladesh. So I'm focusing more on the um, changes that is happening, um, not, um, more specifically that constructed changes that is happening um, within the Baal communities, which is not kind of natural uh, in the tradition, but happening from, from outside forces and how that is actually uh, deteriorating or demeaning the spiritual tradition. Okay, well, that, that sounds like a very important um, phenomenon to observe, but I think for many listeners, they may not be familiar with that tradition. 
who the Baal people are in order to be able to appreciate your argument and study of what is changing. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit of background about the Baal uh, people and community and what are the distinctive features of their cultural tra and religious traditions and their spirituality before we talk a little bit more about uh, what you've been studying in terms of these changes. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, what happens with Baals is actually it's a century long tradition. Um, their Baals are uh, itinerant, some define as mystic communities, but I have problems with the word mystic, but we can go into that later on. Um, itinerant and spiritualist communities who believe in a non-materialist lifestyle and um, they are mostly, um, you know, uh, from pastoral communities, from folk, um, from rural communities uh, in Bangladesh and West Bengal, India. But there is a distinct difference between um, the Baal practices in, in West Bengal, India and in Bangladesh, because a lot of the Baals uh, in Bangladesh do come from uh, Islamic religious backgrounds. So they are they identify themselves um, as Baals and as Muslims as well. And what happens that um, their spiritual elations and their spiritual uh, practices are very much influenced by Sufi Islam. But then again, it's it's uh, they have all kinds of philosophy uh, re, uh, that is taken uh, both from well, taken from from Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, and Sufi Islam, sometimes a bit from Judaism as well, according mm -hmm. to my research. Uh, they, uh, being a Baal is a choice. It's not um, hereditary. So anyone can become a disciple of a Baal guru. Mm. And, and the teacher is actually cre uh, creates his own lineage um, and anyone can be initiated and start that lifestyle, which is um, a combination of uh, meditation, a certain kind of uh, spiritual practices, uh, a bit of um, sexual rituals as well. And then um, it's mostly music. They express their philosophy through music. It's Music is the philosophy, philosophy is the music. That's the basic identity of Baal communities. So there are a number of kinds of Baals, um, but the classification itself is problematic because we as scholars classify them because of research purposes and research scholar and scholarship is very much based on categorization. That's why we classify them, but Baals do not classify themselves. But what I see a difference in, in the features of their practices is they're mostly the Baal guru, who's mm -hmm. the teacher, and there are Baal gurus and there are uh, disciples who practice the music and the meditation and the spiritual practices for 20, 30 years. Then if the community of disciples accepts that, okay, you are now can become a Baal Guru, very much like other traditions, other musical traditions in South Asia, especially if you think about Gharana and classical music. 
um, it's, it's the same. You have to practice for 30, 40 years under a lineage. And then if the community says that you are a Baal, you can be a Baal Guru now, then he or she becomes a Baal Guru. And then a, a person who's a Baal Guru is known as a Shadhok Baal. So he performs Shadhuna. So Shadhuna is the combination of all sorts of beliefs, rituals, and spiritual practices, and the music of Baal communities. And Shadhuna is, is a kind of a syncretic um, philosophical genre of everything that Baals do, uh, including their performances. So this is um, when Baals decide, disciples especially, and other gurus decide that, okay, you are a person who can uh, provide a complete shadhana to new people, to new disciples, then you can become a Baal Guru. That is one genre. I mean, one feature of uh, some Baals. Um, then there are Baal disciples who do not go for a, uh, for, for a practice of being a Baal Guru. Rather, he or she decides to become a performer. Hmm. So they are sometimes known as Gayo Baals. And they, they chose a life to perform uh, and express the philosophy and, you know, uh, publish, um, spread the philosophy of Baal music. So they're both Baal gurus, um, the Shadok Baals and the Gayak Baals, performer Baals, uh, so we can say practitioner and performer Baals. They mostly and traditionally they used to. Right now, it's not um, that um, you know frequent, but traditionally they used to perform at Akras. So Akra is known as the Akra space, where Baals lecture about their philosophy, give introduction to songs. Then they perform those songs. And sometimes um, they're with those songs, they also perform meditation. And Akras are the traditional, it was the only performing space where they interacted with public. So hmm. being in close proximity uh, with the audience and um, kind of sing with them and meditate with them and also educate them about the Baal philosophy uh, is a kind of um, traditional practice. And it's very significantly important because uh, it kind of resonates the affect that Baal wants to spread among the audience um, because it's a spiritual tradition. It, there is lots of feelings and emotions connected. So without meditation and without, um, without those guided meditative musical performance where sometimes the audience also meditate, um, it's not possible to understand the essence of those songs. So these are some of the, mm -hmm. some of the performance space that um, Baal say, for example, um, there is um, um, there is one um, like I'm giving you an example of a traditional Akra uh, performance where Baul explain a Baul Guru explain about Adharipu. This is a kind of a philosophy that um, comes from obviously from Sufi Islam, 
the Sufi Islamic tradition that was practiced in Bangladesh, especially in the areas of Chittagong, the district of Chittagong and Silet. So Adharipu means yourself. That is, um, it's, it's general selves and it's not a self of Baal in general. It's the general self of human beings in a materialistic society where your satisfactions and the balance of your life is influenced by societal expectation. So this, they give a lecture about talking about different phases of Adharipu. Then they sing the song mm -hmm. and in the song talks about how to control your Adharipu and go to the stage of Shottoripu. Shottoripu means the spiritual state in a materialistic society where you are not actually influenced, your personal happiness, internal happiness is not influenced by societal expectation, not by career race. Mm -hmm. And you try to, it's not that you completely deny the materialistic society, rather you try to have a balance. Whenever that balancing point is there, you are, um, you can, you know, navigate with personal happiness, with an internal uh, peace within that society. So that is Shottoripu. Mm -hmm. So their own philosophy is pretty complex. They have, um, um, they say that Baal philosophy is Bed Bohir Dharbo, that means non-scriptural. Uh, there is a um, concept of Rup Sharup Tatto over there, that means they, um, uh, there is a philosophy that says Rup, Sharup, and Arupa. Rup means the outer phase, the outer world. Sharup means the inner world. Then Arupa means that balance where you make a inner and outer balance um, inside you. That is one. Then it's uh, Guru Mukhi Shikha. Uh, that means it's a completely uh, oral tradition based on what Guru says. Mm -hmm. what the uh, spiritual uh, lineage leader says and it's completely based on that mm -hmm. uh, a disciple who becomes a guru later on actually can becomes philosophically spiritually enlightened enough to work on that philosophy and extend it mm -hmm. or make something new right so so, that, so, yeah. so it sounds like um there are two major currents you've identified within this Baal spirituality, those who specialize in developing that philosophy and teaching it and instructing disciples once they've achieved recognition within this community for, um, you know, a high spiritual level and knowledge of this of this tradition, and they can transmit it as well as enlarge it. Um, something like what would in a traditional Sufi tariqah in other places in the Muslim world be considered a, you know, murshid, a guide or a, a sheikh um, who can, you know, teach. And then interestingly, because there's so much involvement with music, um, there is a whole performance stream, you might say, of those who don't want to be involved with the responsibility of training new disciples on the path, but uh, have a kind of public face to expand and broaden the kind of popular understanding and knowledge of the Baal spiritual ideas through performances. So my question was, who is the audience for these performances within, 
you know, Bengali, you know, society is that, you know, if you're not necessarily a dedicated Baul who's given up many things to live this itinerant life and attach yourself to some, you know, a guru. And is that the word they use? They use the word guru, not like Murshid or something like that? Or um, um, Yeah, they use the word guru. A lot of them use the word Murshid as well. Oh, okay. So yes. <laughs> some of the nomenclature can go back and forth between Four, yes, a, yes. a Bengali or Hindi word and a kind of word that's from the Persian, uh, Arabic, uh, uh, der derivation that comes into these languages. Okay. They actually use a, a number of Persian, um, original Persian yeah. um, words that is philosophically enriched, obviously came from uh, Sufi tradition, and those are used in Bengali dialects in yes. a very interesting way, which is not used in day-to-day uh, -day languages, but in music, in song texts, they're used. Oh, interesting, interesting, yeah. right. But so anyway, so, so uh, for the uh, audiences who comes to these akras, um, which might be seen as you know uh, uh, something like a Hanukkah, but for a public uh, performance or ashram. So there, there, it's a spiritual location. It's a location for some kind of spiritual practice for the public, and they're called akra. Mm -hmm. um, but so uh, who comes to these, and do they have to be bowel? identified or attached or is this for the public and is this music popular with people whether or not they've completely absorbed the whole tradition um you know the akra tradition the audiences was generally regular day-to-day -day public in rural areas of uh, right. asia and this has been the tradition has been there in different forms um since ninth century Mm. And and even in the text like Chorjapod, which is the first Bengali text found um, around 14th century, those are all written songs. Wow, amazing. And, uh, and those are all um, songs that can be interpreted as Baal songs because they fit the all, all forms of um, structures of Bao songs itself, itself. Like there is thing called bhonita in bao song uh, in a song where the composer puts his name mm -hmm. in the last stanza mm. of the song so right this is a typical um bengali folkloric tradition that happens in many other songs so um and therefore georgia pod now it's interpreted are mostly uh bao songs and of course that is those songs were influenced by different kind of religious values mm -hmm. and um but day-to-day -day lifestyle and the lifestyle of folkloric um struggles especially how how philosophically the rural people of south asia especially um, specifically in bangladesh and west bengal india how they should practice their intellectual arena Mm -hmm. and their intellectual um, struggles, uh, especially uh, in those societies, to understand those, uh, to get education on those factors, there were the Akra performances. Mm -hmm. Actually, Baos were some of their major teachers right. to, you know, struggle the issues of mental conflict, which is actually translating to societal conflicts and so many things. So it has been there for a long, long time. And anyone can 
go and sit and meditate with them. Uh, so Accra is a, is a very important space as well. It's, um, I might say, kind of resemblance a bit of carnivalesque uh -huh. uh, space. Um, if you kind of refer it to Bakhtinian philosophy, because what happens that whenever you are in Accra, even the big zamindars, the landlords, right. and, and the royalty of South Asia, they sit on the floor with other bows and other communities, which is not the case outside that space. Right. It's, it's very status uh, focused. Yes. Uh, but the Accra space, everybody is equal and you have to sit on the floor. You have to respect whoever you are. You have to respect the Baal Guru. There are specific rituals. You do a Shizda sometimes um, or you nod your head. There are different rituals based on lineages. But everybody does that, even a very big royalty. Mm -hmm. And then they listen to the music and ask questions to the Baos that, Guru, I'm having this problem. What is, uh, what are yours? So these are before universities or, you know, um, education was very oral and based on gurus. This, this was one of the space to educate for the intellectual conflicts, resolve the intellectual conflicts for Bengalis. Mm -hmm. It's a significant space to talk about. Right. Then again, Accra is um, again evolved throughout time and some of the Accra spaces are also uh, constructed in, in the graveyard, at the graveyards of uh, famous Baus. So in Bangladesh, there is the Lalon Accra, uh, which is the graveyard of Lalon Shai or Lalon Shah or Lalon Fokir. He's the most celebrated Baul in whole Bengal, he, because his philosophy, he wrote the most amount of songs that are found right now. And for the diversity in his philosophy, he, he actually focused on um, Vajrayana Buddhism in some of his songs. Hmm. Obviously, a lot of them are from, focused on Sufi Islam, then Vaishnava Hinduism, then, uh, or Vaishnavism. Then there are certain songs which directly talks about uh, farmers' revolution. Um, there are certain songs which directly talks about um, anti-materialism in general. Uh, the most undisclosed aspect of Baal music, which is also only possible to find in Accra spaces, is their eco-spiritual Hmm. philosophy they're very ecocentric this is undisclosed i'm kind of writing something on it right now and then there are issues of gender fluidity mm -hmm. the gender identities so the thing we know right now as diversity and inclusion that has been there in that community for you know thousands of years and um for example and recently in lalonakras when you go um, the songs that are kind of old, um, only in Accra gurus, who different gurus who go to Lalon Accra and perform because that's a sacred place. Um, and Lalon Accra is in uh, the district of Kushtia in Bangladesh, and um, it's um, it's 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 a kind of a you know. Um, being um, it's a kind of a, a pilgrimage for a lot of Baal gurus who there go there 
And when you listen to them, you get the original ecocentric interpretations of the songs, which are otherwise seemed like just a song about Mother Earth, that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But how deep that is and how Laloni is um, interpreting or criticizing the anthropocentric behavior of human beings mm -hmm. that you are not superior than nature or not even any animal or even any tree that is actually expressed through the gurus who are who knows the spiritual uh, echo of those songs and equally um, there is a you when you go you go when you go to those places you listen to for example uh, a rare tradition of songs which is known as Shotima tradition. So, so Shotima tradition is actually where female bows were the gurus and they, they are considered to be, you know, um, in every male bow tradition, it's not a very different. I mean, gender-wise, Philosophically, there is no um, specific thing separate for male or female bowels, but uh, always there is a kind of a balance between disciples who are males and females and or identify as a different gender, which remains secret in, a, in the community. Mm -hmm. And um, only people in the community respect them and it remains secret because of the society it doesn't go outside the community. But Guruma tradition, especially Shotima tradition, is specifically tell, um, led by female Baus. And this is the only case of superiority other Baus accept that these are the women who are other Baal Gurus who are superior than me. So the basic idea uh, about Shotima tradition is um, these women are actually spiritually so enlightened because, first of all, because they're women, uh, in Baal communities, uh, female body is considered to be the body of completeness. Mm -hmm. This is a complete human body because of the emotions that and the emotional intensities that women have, um, that Baal believe women have. And um, because, of course, that body have the... Um, system that can um, you produce know, life. Produce yeah. life. Right. So this is one of the aspects, but there are many more aspects because Baos believe that only um, only in women's psyche you can get the diversity of affect. Hmm. Different varieties of emotion and different stages of psyche that is only possible through a woman and through the teaching of a woman. So there were a number of uh, sh uh, Shotima traditions uh, which were led by same-sex lovers, mm -hmm. and but they were celibate. I mean, they were spiritually connected. Celibacy right. is considered to be, I mean, well, there are certain sexual rituals in Baal communities, which is very ambiguous to understand. I'm an outsider, I'm a non-Baal. So uh, it's it's very ambiguous, and uh, but it doesn't involve intercourse at all, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it, sometimes it doesn't involve another person. So only um, so usually most of the bows uh, practice celibacy, but there are also bows who who have a family as well. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very heterogeneous. Mm -hmm. uh, 
so when I my when I got introduced to Baal communities in Akras places, this was one of the most striking thing that you know came to me um, in one of the Akra performances that um, a woman is talking about deep philosophical um, you know traditions. I was at the age of twelve, I think, at that point. Point, and I just got introduced to the philosophy of um, some of the philosophy of Chanukku as a part of my text uh, in South Asian philosopher. Um, oh, sorry, some of, some of the other South Asian philosophers. It's part of my reading text in my school education, and then I kind of resonated that this philosophy is more intense and very different. That was in an Akra space, and when, when a female Baal guru was saying. Uh, um, giving a lecture and that was that was kind of transforming and this is I think some of the uh, transforming experience that lead a person to become a bowel mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um, and still now I understand that when 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 a female bowel actually stands and gives a lecture she actually surpasses in so many levels, if you compare to a male bowl, a male bowl guru, because obviously the intensity of emotions, the, the affect that bowls believe that female bowls have. Mm -hmm. So that's why Akra spaces are so important mm -hmm. uh, because it is a transforming spaces and also the music itself that draws a lot of people in. And, you know, uh, for example, like, um, uh, Hasan Raja, he's a very famous Baal from, uh, from the Silet, district of Silet. He was initiated in this community. He was, he was a royalty, kind of a royalty. And he was initiated in, in a Baal tradition um, in, in his area. So he later on, he kind of um, lived a non-materialist act most of his time. So these are some of the aspect and he was transformed into an Akra according to the story I found he was transformed going to the Akra itself mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so these are some of the spaces that was traditionally very popular but right now there are very few right okay so what I understand when you described it as a bit of the carnivalesque you meant that in some sense some of the typical conventions of social organization are suspended in that atmosphere in that environment and so even the class and social status differences are erased because everyone has to sit on the floor some of the gender uh hierarchies or divisions are overturned where in that space you have female spiritual leadership that is not just a concession uh, but is actually valorized as itself the source of greatest spiritual advancement in some ways this is really fascinating to to learn about in some sense it seems like these um groups and also as you said the non-gender binary uh kind of experiences that some may have and also as you were mentioning this in you know emphasis generally on celibacy um is kind of to take oneself outside of the normal forms of reproducing society to see something new or different. And it reminds me so much of the work uh, that has been done, historically speaking, about the dervish orders, like the very kind of radical dervish uh, sorts of piety 
like the Kalandars, right, uh, <laughs> that uh, Ahmed Kara Mustafa, for example, has written about, um, where they did things really to distance themselves from society. But one thing that's so different about the Baal uh, tradition that you've been describing is how much music is central to developing the philosophy and communicating it. So that seems like something that's worth talking a little bit further. I wish I had asked you actually if you had some pieces to play as examples. Perhaps what I'll do is ask you maybe to send me a couple of clips that I can include at the end of the podcast so that people have a little bit of a sense of the sound of this music. But in terms of uh, comparing it or describing the kind of music, you've talked a little bit about some of the themes, the, the philosophical and eco-spiritual sorts of themes, which I hope we'll get a chance to talk more about. But um, uh, what, how does it compare in terms of uh, style of music and its sound and its structure uh, to things that people might be a little bit more familiar, like Gawal traditions? Um, mm -hmm. uh, what kinds of instruments are used and uh, what kind, you know, how can you characterize the, the music? Does it have sort of formal patterns like a lot of South Asian music has, you know, kind of formal sort of structures and then areas of, you know, where the where the the uh, musicians can can, uh, I don't know, go more free form, but there is like a structure for a, a wall, right, you know, or for some of these traditional forms of South Asian music. How do you describe the bowel music? Yeah, um, that's a wonderful question. Thank you. Uh, the idea is um, of course, there is there are some structures which is there is a traditional um, a Bengali will understand immediately that this is a Bao song because the tone, the rhythm, and also the tune itself is is very familiar to the ear. Mm -hmm. Everybody grew up listening to these songs, so it's a kind of a Bao music. Is kind of the um, it encompasses the majority of folk music in mm -hmm. whole Bengal. So mm -hmm. this is this kind of a very significantly important. Uh, but it's not previously it was thought that there is only because of the lack of uh, ethnographic research. Um, it was because there was there is a specific tradition. There is a there is specific structure that everybody follows. There are some common styles um, of tones and of um, notations that every, every bowl follows. And, and um, the song is that variety becomes in the lyric. So the lineage, the philosophy, it's, it's a lot of people say it's a lyric centered uh, music. So this is one of the aspects that is important, but it's it's very different in in my opinion because when I uh, because um there are lots of meditative songs which are not that popular. Those are only songs in uh, you hear in Accra spaces because uh, they're meditative. You have to have meditation with those songs. Then there are songs which uh, which are just repeating three, four, the same stanza a number of times. So that is one another structure. Um, the musical style is uh, also varies based on the rhythm patterns. 
So some rhythms, there is a rhythm, some odd rhythm patterns, unlike Western music, there's always even rhythm patterns, um, like three or in three or in four, but in, in South Asian music, rhythm patterns are very different. Like we have two, three, two, three patterns. We have three, four, three, four, or three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. So this is one pattern. Then one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. So these patterns actually helps bows to uh, focus on certain uh, words in the lyric, mm -hmm. which is spiritually important. Mm -hmm. Okay, from, for example, uh, there is a very famous song, Jad Galo, Jad Galo Bole. So when you sing it, it becomes like Jad Galo, Jad Galo Bole. So Jad means your caste. Hmm. And it says that So the focus is on caste and it means saying that this is a strange world where everybody is worried about caste. Hmm. Hmm. So nobody is worried about true spiritual path. Everybody worries about caste and what religion you are in. So there is a, this rhythm pattern helps to focus, um, stress on these words which are hmm. very important. Uh, in the songs. Uh, that's why uh, whenever the rhythm pattern changes, the style of songs changes. So um, I have found like um, there are new rhythm patterns that are used by contemporary bows who are very critical about social media, dating apps and everything. So bows are actually, it's not, it's an evolving tradition. They actually also address contemporary changes. So music, therefore, is heterogeneous as well. So you get a bit of classical music influence in certain districts, of, uh, in the music of certain districts of Bao, um, certain Bao's from certain districts. Uh, but there is a common musical pattern that is followed by every Bao and they compose songs uh, uh, following some typical notation styles that is there and those are most popular, but there is always a big variety that usually people don't hear about. But that was a pre-existing um, heterogeneity that happened that people before social media and before media in general uh, were um, predominant before that time. Um, it was it was it was very aware that among the people, especially rural people, that they knew that there are different varieties in the and different heterogeneity in the song, and they could say that this song comes from that lineage because this song has these elongated tones here, and this song has this um, this rhythm pattern, and this song song has this philosophy in it. So that means. It's from this uh, zone. For example, if the song is very ecocentric, mm -hmm. then it's it's from uh, the area of Silet. Um, for example, Shunamganj and Chatog from that area of Bangladesh. But then again, it's very talking about non-materialism. Then it's either from uh, the central uh, Kushtia district or or somewhere from Chittagong. So these varieties are always there in the mm -hmm. rhythm pattern and singing. Right. So so there's differences in themes that are also kind of regional cultures within the Baal tradition that emphasize certain themes and problems of 
relating to the world spiritually uh and uh the, their pat so some of their rhythm patterns and style of the music would also be uh different that these are kind of coordinated as a as a whole or would the rhythm patterns basically be various and not necessarily related to the thematic uh content um the rhythm pattern is always related to them thematic. It is okay, right, right. But it's not related to other other lineages or other districts. So right. the variety always is there, and it's intentional that they keep that variety go on, so that the lineage style is strong. But the bows also compose bows from every lineage also compose songs which is follow the same rhythm pattern. And same um, same notations, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that kind of connects the lineages all together. So they keep that connection in songs, but they, so they also compose songs which is different from the these connective uh, notations as well. Okay, wonderful. Well, that is really helpful in some ways. Just as the background, I know you are actually also studying not only uh, these traditions and being immersed in mastering and understanding uh, of this whole tradition, but also how it is undergoing change. You've yeah. alluded to a couple of things that there are less of these performance type spaces, Accra, mm -hmm. and also that there's uh, some engagement with contemporary questions and problems like social media and people's attachment to an absorption in, in those forms of communication and so on. So uh, clearly it's a historically living and developing tradition. What are you studying about how it's change, changing? You mentioned in the title, commodifying bowel spirituality. Mm -hmm. What's happening to it? So this is specifically for Bangladesh and for urban Bangladeshi communities, uh, specifically in Dhaka, where both performer bowels, uh, practitioner bowels usually don't, in general, very few, one or two sometimes, but practitioner bowels don't go to uh, media platforms. Mm -hmm. they, uh, they perform in actors and um, but performer bows are going to media because recognition and respect kind of gives it's a it's a very significant idea of agency mm. in the community so they can spread the music and becomes popularized and it, there is no problem to uh, to make it more global in this process so uh, they have the, that authority um, they are supposed to have the authority over their music, when they're performing their music in, in music studios, um, in music industries, in television channels. But what my research finds is they actually don't have that much of authority. And this actually, this very idea actually grew from my own experience. I was, I'm, 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 I, I studied and learned bowel music since my childhood and also Indian classical music uh, since my childhood. So, so there, um, some of the music producers knew that I study and teach bowel music and I lectured about them in my classes in Jaminal University and different parts of South Asia and also did in Europe. So they asked me to perform a song which is very intense with existentialist crisis. Mm. Uh, so like existentialism in general. So 
um, I, I kind of sorted the song out, wanted to perform it for the album. But then I found out that um, this story is there in my dissertation, that there was a pre-existing music track already, uh, already composed for this song. And that music track is, is, does not go with the whole meditative aura of the song at all. I couldn't negotiate with the music director and that extremely existentialist um, song, which talks about inner crisis, outer crisis, and so many things, that song transformed into a party song. Oh my, yeah. Yes, it was directly a dance party song, you can right. it's a, uh, perfect for the DJ parties. Right, so was so, it like a fusion kind of? Yeah, it is. Okay, so it's like what they did to Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan's <laughs> Must the Must. Right? They put yeah, a back and they made it into a kind of like a dance uh, kind of yeah. song. I yeah. see. Yeah. And this is happening on through South Asia. And mm -hmm. it's, it's normal, it's globalization that might happen. The problem with Bangladeshi is um, I saw that if I couldn't resist how the performer bows are resisting and there I went for the research and so that nobody has any agency over these music productions. It's always music directors mm -hmm. and they are actually you know contributing to make uh, this music all through. And, and I interviewed some bows, I, I saw, I heard their struggle that how they kind of had a little bit of conflict with music directors in producing their music. Um, so some of them didn't produce, some of them did produce, uh, could, could um, they could, uh, some of the bows, performer bows could, um, you know, convince the music director that keep it this way. But maybe the final production was somewhat partially their expectation, but not the whole thing. Uh, so that happened. But in most cases, music directors manipulate the whole music. And therefore, bows are frustrated, performer bows, that my, their spiritual, the aura that is necessary is not there. And also there are massive changes of lyrics that are happening. Because those lyrics are very locally focused, they are unusual for the urban audience. So about, uh, music directors are changing those lyrics, folk music, so there is no copyright mm -hmm. uh, flexibility, there is a kind of a copyright flexibility there. So this is, this is a significant problem that they're facing. Um, my research is actually locating these changes, which are, which I say, inorganic change, not the organic change that happens within the Baal tradition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so outside the Baal tradition. And what I see is a matter of concern. I, I say in my research that this is obvious, this will happen, but this cannot be a, the music that erases the traditional music style, which is happening in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. There is not much shadhok bows anymore, practitioner bows. We don't see them because people are going to concerts rather than going to Akras. Right. So, and, and Shadok so Bao's yeah, Would you describe basically what's happening is that the musical performances are being somehow extricated from the context of the 
lecturing and preparation about what uh, the philosophy you know, of bowel uh, spirituality is, then you get the performance. And then after that, there's meditation or there's, you know, some spiritual discipline. And basically, the music is being just pulled out of all of that context and taken into the concert hall, yeah. where it has no other valence other than as a song. As a song, exactly. And, uh, you know, bowel music was not meant for entertainment only mm -hmm. it is it is affect the affect we're looking for it's it's always affective mm -hmm. so that's why i use affective experience this word so much mm -hmm. now it is transforming to only entertainment and thus the spiritual intensity the, especially the multi-layered meaning of um of the lyric is not there anymore when you put it into a concert hall or into a tel onto a television channel. Mm -hmm. What happens that, for example, there is a song like Milan Habe Kotodine, a very famous song in Bengal, Amar Moner Manu Shong, and that means when will I reun reunite with my, with my lover? Mm -hmm. This is a deeply uh, philosophical songs where it, different stanzas are talking relating to different stages of inner self mm -hmm. it's all about inner self and finding a inner soul so the journey it's it's very much like looking for a nirvana within yourself and this song is simply transformed into a love song here in the in the popular culture Right. So the metaphor that is very yeah. prevalent in Persian, Urdu literature, Bengali literature of mm -hmm. spiritual metaphors of using the lover and the beloved and that relationship uh, has li been literalized. Yeah. So the, the metaphor <laughs> has been taken. I mean, obviously, in the poetry, originally, these kinds of poetic formulations, it functioned you know, maybe at both levels at the same time. But you're saying that what they've done is they've stripped the spiritual allegory exactly. uh, out of it. And people are just thinking of it as a love song, uh, you know, uh, like so much popular music is about loves, you know, love songs. <laughs> yeah. I see. So, so this is this is one of the major problem. And what happens that for this reason, we don't see shadow bows anymore. Uh -huh. The moment we don't have the visibility of shadow bows in popular in in public spaces, that means the moment of bow tradition, which is decreasing, the true true philosophical tradition. And those are the uh, guru, uh, the gurus, yes, the, the ones who are the teaching gurus, shadow yeah. bow, yeah, shadow bows. So this is one of the uh, issues of concern. In, in contemporary Bangladesh, especially urban, among the urban communities, that it's always, it's all good. We need to take bows to Hollywood if it's mm -hmm. important to do so. Mm -hmm. But you have to keep the tradition alive. The tradition is alive in other folklore musical tradition, even if, um, you know, uh, with the globalized trends are going on. The popular culture has invaded in these traditions and it's absolutely okay. There is another parallel popular culture trend happening, but the traditional uh, trend is also going on. But I'm concerned about South Asia in general, whether it is happening uh, at all. Maybe in Indian classical music, it is the tradition is very strong because it's classical music. 
But in folkloric tradition, in lots of tradition, it's not there anymore. The consumer capitalism mm -hmm. takes over the folkloric traditions and kind of erasing it. I know it's a big statement, not true for every culture, but in South Asia, true for many cultures. Uh, that's very interesting because one thing I was thinking during all of this, when you talked about the syncretism, some of the sorts of practices and rituals that are part of Baal spirituality, I could see that these might be, you know, elements of this popular folkloric local tradition of spiritual practice that while identified as Muslim, you know, in a majority, you know, Muslim society, that there might be some kinds of criticisms of some of these practices as departing from orthodoxy and that perhaps there would be some criticisms and some engagement between bowel, uh, you know, uh, bowel spiritual defenders and those who are condemning various practices. Um, but it seems to me that what your research is suggesting is that in some ways, consumer capitalism and urbanization yeah. and all of these social changes that are commodifying uh, culture, folk culture, are much more detrimental in some ways than, you know, whatever the traditional or even modern criticisms might be and changes in the fashion of people's forms of religiosity, that really what's undermining this tradition is really consumer capitalism more than anything else. Is that how you would look at it? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is one of the aspects. And what happens that there is, uh, if I extend on it, there is no uh, protest happening against this very capitalist, um, you know, this, this commodifying trend. Rather, people are accepting it, especially in urban areas, which is, which is very acceptable. This actually makes sustenance for cer certain performer bows possible right. and, and also spreads the popular, uh, spreads bow music in the popular culture. But the problem is um, you, there is nobody who's talking about keeping the traditional music alive. There is a surge of preserving the music. Mm -hmm. uh, so ethnographic songs, collecting songs, but collecting right. songs is not that important rather than as important as keeping the tradition alive and you have to fund or keep the Akra spaces go on so that Chadok Baus, who actually come only, Baul Gurus, mm -hmm. actually come only to Akras, they can regularize their performances. So this is not there. And then again, we have the scholars in South Africa, Bengal, Bengal, who are more critical about the performer Baus, but not that much critical about the music industries. Mm -hmm. So performer bows, and there's um, some some scholars say that like you know performer bows they they uh, disorient the music they're putting it into urban culture but we don't think about the social socioeconomic scenario performer bows they are supposed to do it this is their job mm -hmm. the idea is we have to give the music, we have to tell the music industries to give all the authority to perform well, to make that music, mm -hmm. keep the studio. So there is there is not much protest even happening against it from Baos until recently, I found a few songs which talk about, talk against this consumer capitalist culture. They said that 
keep your studio, but give me back my Akra. That is the so that is the ultimate. Yeah, this is this is Baal Taskir Ali from uh, from Shunam Gonsilet who who sang about these things. Um, and and the same kind of thing is like scholars are not that effective. Scholars are more more into romanticizing Baal philosophy. Mm-hmm. And that is, I'm, I'm critical of Baal scholars this way as well, that some of them, of course, most of them are doing excellent work, but there are issues with some of them, for example, who kind of practice a kind of authority over Baal, Baals themselves. For, uh, there is a word called guru test, okay, for a scholar, there's called guru test. I mean, think about the uh, daring tendency of scholars that happens by some scholars that guru test means uh, they will ask the philosophical meaning to a performer baul or a baul guru if the interpretation is you know um, critical enough then he's a baul guru otherwise he's not or she's not mm-hmm. so a non-Baul cannot have any authority over Baal spiritual <laughs> mm-hmm. philosophy. But this is what's happening with some scholars. So I'm, I'm also very critical that scholars should focus more on the music industries and focus more to um, keeping on the tradition. Like scholars, like I'm, I might mention Simon Zakaria, then um, we have... Um, Anwar Karim, Abu Ishaq Hussain, uh, Abu Hassan Choudhury, who are actually doing great work and also contributing significantly to for the continuation of traditional Baal. Even financially, they try to raise funds. Mm-hmm. So these scholars, I mean, they're doing excellent work, but still, you know, music industry, as you can say, it's a huge, powerful industry. They have all the means of power and other tools. So it's, it's really hard for Baos to cope over there. And that is the concern of my research as well. While I do accept that, you know, the globalized trend, the popular culture trends should continue, but it's more important to focus on the tradition as well. Mm-hmm. Wow, this has been so fascinating. And I can say that I think that uh, the work that you're doing to study the impact of uh, urbanization, music, the musical industry um, that's disrupting the artistic and what one would say spiritual integrity of how all of those components go together in a continuing dynamic and organic way. This is uh, so important and um, such fascinating work. I did not know much about this tradition and it's clear that it is a vast universe of mm-hmm. um, you know, eco-spirituality and themes, uh, uh, you know, of both internal psychic and spiritual development. The affect theory seems to be very key and important. I'd love to learn more about that because I think when you're pointing out the disjunction between the lyrics and the actual musical mode that's being imposed upon, you know, these bowel um, uh, performers, Uh, when they're popularizing their music through these new media that it obviously isn't going to produce the the spiritually important affect that the lyrics were intending if you've changed the music entirely so it it seems that there is a real crisis for for this 
this tradition and your work is uh, very important in pointing out um, what's happening, what's changing, and identifying some of the primary causes rather than perhaps what many people have focused on. So I wish you the best with your work, and I thank you so much for joining us, Ghulam uh, Rabani, um, a PhD uh, candidate here uh, in cultural studies at Queen's University, for sharing your exciting and fascinating research with us today. Thank you so much. This has been a privilege, and I really enjoyed talking to you and you you are a great mentor and and um, oh well <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad that the mudless can, can you know uh, be a venue for sharing these yeah. kinds of very this interesting as well research thank you, so much. thank you um listeners uh look for uh future episodes of the mudless uh on various topics about uh, muslim societies from a global perspective and also do stay tuned, follow us on social media, look to our website because we do have a lot of events um, that are coming up that are open to the public online, wherever you are, you can access these if you register them for Islamic History Month, which is celebrated in Canada during October. So again, thank you so much and we'll talk with you very soon. Thank you for joining us in the Majlis, a podcast by MSGP. Muslim Society's Global Perspectives, or MSGP, is an initiative at Queen's University dedicated to connecting the complex history of Islamic societies with the contemporary world. You can connect, learn more, and support us by checking out our website, www.queensu.ca slash MSGP, and stay up to date with our events by following us on Twitter at MSGPQU and on our Facebook, MSGPQU. You can also follow our YouTube channel, The Mitchless.